Today, I'm introducing to you our spring series that we're calling Rest for Your Souls, Caring for Your Soul in the Stress of Life. And we're calling today's introduction, It's a Mad, Mad World. It is a mad world in terms of being crazy, but it's a mad world because right now things are kind of angry in our culture. So what a perfect time to look at Jesus' invitation to enter into soul rest. This is a an amazing time technologically and medically and in terms of discovery. I'm so glad I survived the 1970s. <laughs> Made it into the new millennium. This is a fantastic time to be alive. And one of the things I want to talk about is the amazing technology that we have available to us. How many of you watch the movie Hidden Figures? A great movie which uh, highlighted the African-American women who were unsung heroes in our space program, but it also reveals some early technology, the introduction of the IBM computer Model 370. There it is. It was the size of a car. It cost three and a half million dollars then. That's 29 million dollars today. That helped guide men to the moon. So quite amazing in its day. I now hold in my hands my iPhone 7. (laughs) What I'm about to share with you seems fantastical, but it's true. My iPhone processes requests 125 million times faster than all the data processing that NASA had in the 1960s available to them. That's amazing, isn't it? It is not inaccurate to say that my phone could manage 125 million Apollo-era spacecraft all at the same time. Somebody sent me a meme after my 9 o'clock sermon. What would you tell somebody who lived 50 years ago that's the most amazing thing about your life now? And the meme said, well, I hold within my hand all the information of the entire universe, and I use it to argue with strangers. (laughs) One of the other uh, amazing things is the amount of information that we are amassing. Before 1900, we doubled what we knew as a race about every 100 years. By World War II, we were doubling about every 25 years, but by 2013, we were doubling our information every 12 months. Think about that. If you've ever done that exercise that doubles a penny and then doubles it again 50 times, you know the amount of data we're talking about. And now experts say it won't be long before we're doubling our information every 12 hours. Just imagine that. A third area is this endless variety of choice and options that we have available to us. Think about, for instance, blue jeans. When I was a kid in the 1960s, there were three brands of blue jeans. Lee, Levi, and Wrangler. And it doesn't matter what you put on, they were all the same. They were stiff pieces of fabric cardboard. (laughs) By the time you grew out of them, they were about ready to to wear, you know. (laughs) Blue jeans have their own department now. And let's see, you have a regular fit, relaxed fit, loose fit, straight, skinny straight, 
flex fabric, and I'm talking about men's jeans now, <laughs> stretch jeans, boot cut, straight cut, button fly, indigo blue, stone washed, acid washed. Isn't it great? In the 1970s, there were roughly 9,000 products to choose from in your average grocery store. Today, there are 47,000. 353 types of toothpastes. Let me just show you this picture. There are 27 varieties of Crest. Do you remember when Cheerios was just Cheerios? You could actually tell people you're eating Cheerios and be eating junk food now. And they think you're eating healthy. Our list could go on. I'm just going to list two more. Our fourth area is this constant connection that we can maintain in our relationships now. You can literally, via Facebook and Skype, be in touch with people that you know anywhere in the world where people have access to the Internet and be in some form of relationship with them. I like Facebook. I know there are preachers that will preach against the evils of it. Any technology can be abused, but uh, how many of you are my friend on Facebook? Really? I thought there were more. <laughs> you don't like me? <laughs> Facebook is kind of cool. Vit and I uh, Friday celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. Yeah, thanks. And um, I'm just going to say Vitalina is the hero of our marriage. <laughs> Friends that we haven't really had close ties with since Bible college days were in touch with us. We know what's going on in the lives of people that were it not for that technology, we wouldn't even know. If, that's, an, uh, that's an amazing thing. And then the, the final thing I want to point out is the 24-7 instantaneous access to news that is happening anywhere in the world I could take my iPhone out, and once it uses my fingerprint, so cool, I just scan to the left, and right there, top stories, up to the very minute of what's going on in our world. Let me show you a picture. How many know what this is? All the current satellites that are surrounding our planet. That's why we can instantaneously know what's happening on the opposite side of the world. When the Ebola breakout was happening in uh, Central Africa, we were engaged. We were getting almost instant data as to what was happening. How about uh, the terrorist attacks in, in Europe? The latest in the nuclear tension that's developing in Korea. Or the Christian students that were shot in Kenya not long ago. The latest gaffe from the White House or from Congress. And of course, we all need to know as soon as we can whether Ben and Jennifer have really called it quits this time. <laughs> or if the rumors are true that Beyonce is not taking care of herself the way she did her first pregnancy. <laughs> I need to know these things. And we all need to know, will there be a third season of This Is Us? This information is available to us instantly. All we need to say is, hey, Siri, will there be a third season of This Is Us? Okay, I found this on the web for will there be a third season of This Is Us? How many of you want to know? <laughs> because I know right now. You'd think with all of this, life would be great, not just for you and me, but for everybody. But it hasn't turned out that way. 
life has gotten away from us. I remember I was 10 years old, 1966, in fifth grade, and our teacher showed us some articles that projected life in the year 2000, and then we were supposed to write an essay. I did some calculation. I'd be 44 years old at the turn of the millennium, and I didn't know anybody that I thought was 44 years of age. So I didn't think I'd be alive by then. (laughs) Turns out I am. What we read pictured a fantastic world where technology and food production, we thought there wouldn't be a hungry person. Everybody would have access to opportunity and information. We pictured that technology would take away menial labor from everybody so that we all did meaningful labor. How many of you remember the prediction that uh, in our lifetime we would see three-day work weeks? Yeah. Hasn't turned out that way. Technology has actually created more pressure and expectation. Because we can do more with technology, our employers expect more. And instead of working less, we're working nonstop. The boundaries between private life and work life have broken down. And those that can't keep up with the technology are expendable and will hire young guns who are willing to give up their life to this. Technology has proven our drivenness and brokenness and our ambition and given us more ways to press each other and use each other. More information has actually resulted for most people in a sense of sensory overload and less certainty about things. Think about this. We are learning so much that there isn't a single human being that can ever hope to have access to even a a bit of it. That's awesome and inspiring, but it also means that we are less certain about anything that we think we know. Is caffeine lead to high blood pressure and bad for you, or does caffeine fight cancer? Is it good or is it bad? Is fat bad for you in your diet, or is a fat-free diet dangerous? Depends on what day of the week. Even our sense of reality, the laws of the universe that we think we can at least count on, well, now there's string theory. Our sense of reality, maybe it's not actually real. We're less certain about most things these days. More options, sociologists are learning, create dissatisfaction with our choices. The choice dilemma, just Google that phrase. And look at what sociologists and psychologists are saying about the anxiety that's growing. The problem with all the options is that we're told we can find the perfect thing. So our expectations are higher than they've ever been. We end up, therefore, being dissatisfied with what we find. Or we can't help but think that, for instance, maybe I should have gone with the 34-inch inseam. (laughs) Or maybe I should be thinking relaxed fit at my age. You know, you... The dissatisfaction of what we have, or the inability to make choices because the options are beyond our ability to comprehend. The digital connectedness is good, but it can create inauthentic relationships. If you do friend me on Facebook, let me warn you, I seem very impressive on Facebook. (laughs) And most of you do too. It's like an avatar. 
it's not really you. You know, the thing about real community, physical space touching one another, they love you warts and all. And this digital connectedness can create inauthentic relationships and can leave many people feeling lonely. Being friended is not the same as having friends. I read that on a meme somewhere. And the 24-7 instantaneous news cycle, while it's nice to be in the know, frankly results in what for many people is a constant state of worry, fear, and anger. Just research first world anxiety, and you'll see that the people that have the most access to technology and information are exhibiting a huge amount of emotional instability and fear. And one of the things that sociologists and psychologists are, are suggesting is that as a single human being, I only have so much emotional capacity. And we all have enough in our lives to be worried about and to care about. But then when I can instantaneously be aware of the suffering of somebody on the other end of the world, I can't help but connect myself to that. Or I can't help but be angry with the latest political rant that happens to match my view that villainizes somebody on the opposite camp. We get caught up in all of this, and frankly, one person can only handle so much on their emotional shoulders. It's overwhelming. We end up in a condition where we have more opportunity, more options, more information than ever before, but we seem farther away from a life that we all are pursuing, a life free of need, worry, and fear. We are reaching a point of crisis in our culture where we have an epidemic of anxiety. Very few of us in this room, while in our circles, we might not consider ourselves wealthy, there's very few of us in this room that from a global perspective are not filthy rich filled with opportunity, and yet on average we are riddled with fear and anxiety and anger. Hmm. And into this state of affairs, the words of Jesus come to us as fresh as they were when he said them 2,000 years ago. Let's say them together. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, and you will find rest for your souls. It's that last promise and that underlined phrase that's the theme of our times together here over the next weeks. Rest for your souls. This seems to be a promise by Jesus. You will find rest for your souls. And so this is the big idea that will set us off on this journey together. I want to say it, I want you to think about it, and then we're going to say it together. The default posture for a child of God in any circumstance, according to Jesus, ought to be our soul at rest. Say that. The default posture for a child of God in any circumstance is their soul at rest. That's what I think Jesus is saying here. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, 
and you will find rest for your soul. Let me just ask an honest question. How is that going for you? How are you doing not getting caught up in the very same fear and anxiety that is just throughout our culture right now? And even if you're the kind that is insulated from all that and you're just dealing with your own fears and your own anxieties and your own concerns, which are big enough for any person to handle, how are you doing with that? That's what we're in search of together during this time. And in order to help us get a glimpse of what it's going to take to assume that posture, I want to take you to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. This is a story of a man of God named Elisha, very powerful prophet, and his personal assistant. We're going to begin reading at verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? We'll pause here. So Elisha, who's a man of God, is using his gift of knowledge as a prophet to keep the king of Israel informed on the plans of the king of Aram. The king of Aram doesn't understand why his ploys keep getting found out, and so he assumes he has a traitor in his ranks, and so he has a meeting. And he says, which of you is a traitor? Verse 12, none of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord. You wondered where that phrase came from, right here. <laughs> oh, my Lord. What shall we do, the servant asked. All right, let's, let's update this a little bit. The personal assistant gets up first thing in the morning. Maybe the first thing he does is start breakfast, throw some eggs, a little bacon. No, this is Jerusalem, no bacon. <laughs> Maybe some corned beef hash. Gets the coffee rolling. Goes outside, bends over to pick up the morning paper. Maybe he's reading it and he looks up and there's the army of a ram surrounding him. How would you feel? Oh, my Lord. He's anxious, so he comes in, and he tells Elisha. And what does Elisha do? Well, he gets up and smells the eggs, onto his plate, sits down, drinking some coffee, reading the paper, and the servant's saying, my Lord, what are we going to do? Elisha seems nonplussed about the whole situation. Verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. 
Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So, the servant takes attendance. The math doesn't work. What do you mean? There's more with us than against us. Elisha prayed, verse 17, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, just so you know the end of the story, because it's not the point I want to make, God blinds the whole army. Elisha walks out, and he says, these are not the droids you're looking for. No, just, sorry. Oh, my goodness. You can watch Star Wars on your iPhone. Did you know that? You're in the wrong place. Let me take you to the right place. And so Elisha leads them right into the capital city of Samaria, right into the hands of the king of Israel. Fantastic story. But that's not the point of it. What I want you to see is two men both part of the children of God, facing the same circumstances, one in terror and one with his soul at rest. What's the difference? The difference is the ability to see beyond the physical into what is equally true and real spiritually for the child of God. That's the key. I will confess to you that when I get over-anxious, when I get fearful about my life circumstances or, or our kids or about even the church and people in the church or, or the immense needs of the city in which we serve, when I get anxious and fearful, it's because I am only looking on a physical level. I am not letting God open my perspective to the unconquerable truths and realities that are mine as a child of God. To the chariots that surround me. That's what this study is about, to help us learn to broaden our vision so that we're not just seeing all of the things that are at war against our hearts and our soul, but we realize the things that are for us as God's children far outnumber and outweigh those things. And in any circumstances, tragedy, need, abundance, fear of the future, in any circumstance, our souls can be at rest. I think that's a study worth having. Don't you? So let's commit to that in prayer now. And then I invite you to please be with us over these next weeks. I think God's going to say some powerful things to us. Father, we, we thank you for this. What an incredible promise that Jesus makes. Let me teach you. Come under my authority, my yoke, my control. Come to me, and your soul will find rest. Father, we confess that all too often, rest is the last thing that's happening in our souls. It's 
fear, it's anxiety, it's doubt, it's concern, it's anger even. And yet Jesus seems to indicate that to truly learn from him is to make it possible for our hearts, no matter what circumstance, to be in that posture of souls at rest. I want to pray for all of us as Elisha prayed for his friend. Lord, open our eyes so that we can see all that is for us in a world where so much seems to be against us. In Jesus' name, amen.